Abba, we thank you um, that you are the living God, that we pray that your word would go forth and that it would encourage and, um, and edify your people, O oh God, the hearers of it, um, that I would become less, that you would become more, and uh, that your will would be done in this place. B'Shem Yeshua HaMashiach. Amen. So the last time I spoke, I went through uh, the book of Acts. Does anyone remember that? Raise your hand if you remember the last sermon. Two people, good. All right. And uh, we find, uh, and basically that sermon was all about, does, everyone, does anyone remember? Basically the expectations that were blown away by God, right? And uh, in the book of Acts, um, we kind of went through and saw all of that. And I, I was... I was looking over it again, and there's a chapter in Acts that really stuck out to me as quite extraordinary and kind of blew, blew open my own personal expectations, all right? So I wanted to share that with you this morning. Does that sound good? All right. Now, imagine that you have been persecuted for your faith, even unto death. But before you finish your ministry on earth— you are allowed one final speech in which to proclaim the gospel. One final attempt to share love with those who are bent on your destruction. Can you imagine that? What would you say? What would you include and what would you not include? This is exactly the case in the seventh chapter of Acts with Stephen who was essentially, not yet, thank you, Robert. Uh, Stephen was the first martyr, um, and uh, he was basically a a deacon, a shamash of the early community. At the end of chapter 6, Stephen is brought before the Sanhedrin um, in the temple. The Sanhedrin were the ruling body of Jewish law, kind of like the Supreme Court of the United States today. And Stephen was accused of speaking against Torah, against the temple, against Moses, and against God. At this point in the narrative, Scripture says that Stephen's face was shining like the face of an angel. And he was asked to defend himself. And this is what he said in Acts 7, verses 51 through 53. This is how he responds. Thanks. Stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. You continually oppose the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. You do the same things your fathers did. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who told in advance about the coming of the Tzaddik, the righteous one. And now you have become his betrayers and murderers. You, who received the Torah as having been delivered by angels, but do not keep it. Well, wait a second. This, this is actually not what Stephen says. Okay, okay, okay. It is what Stephen says, but not at first. In the research that I did for this sermon, a lot of the scholars, they, they define the gospel according to Stephen by this, what I just read, which is the very end of his speech, right? But this is not the gospel according to Stephen, at least not fully, right? We want to go back to the beginning. We want to see the whole picture, right? Don't we? 
So what are the last words that Stephen wanted to share before going to be with God? What is the gospel according to Stephen? To get that, we have to go to the beginning of the chapter, verse 1, right? Where Stephen makes three points, essentially, when he articulates the gospel. Number one, not yet. Thanks, Robert. (laughs) He's ready back there. Number one is covenant. Number two is the rejection of the prophets. And number three is obeying Torah. So let's look at the first point, covenant, starting in verse one. Thanks. We're going to get this. All right. So this is what Stephen says at the beginning of his speech. Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to Avraham Avinu in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran and said to him, leave your land and your family and go into the land that I will show you. So he left the land of the Kazim or the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. After his father died, God made him move to this land where you are living now. Let me say that again. God made him move to this land where you are living now. He gave him no inheritance in it, not even space for one foot. Yet, he promised to give it to him as a possession and to his descendants after him, even though at the time he was childless. What God said to him was, your descendants will be aliens in a foreign land where they will be in slavery and oppressed for 400 years. But I will judge the nation that enslaves them, God said, and afterwards they will leave and worship me in this place. And he gave him Berit Milah, which is circumcision. So he became the father of Yitzhak and did his Berit Milah on the eighth day. And Yitzhak became the father of Yaakov, or Jacob, and Jacob became the father of the 12 patriarchs. So if you, if you were articulating the gospel, would you start with Abraham? Why did Stephen start with Abraham? Because Abraham's story is the beginning of the covenant with Israel. Notice what Stephen says in verse 4, if we can pull it back up. God made him meaning Abraham, move to this land where you are living now. So the hearers of this message are the receivers of this exact promise from God. The hearers are the very fulfillment of the scripture he's talking about. Can you imagine hearing this? He's saying, the reason you are standing where you're standing is because God was faithful to Abraham, faithful to that promise. The promise is a covenant. Abraham was the first man circumcised. The first context of the gospel of Stephen is covenant. Hashem's covenant with Abraham was circumcision, and it was land, and it was blessing. Abraham was to circumcise himself and his family as a sign of the covenant. And then Hashem promised to bring Abraham to the land of promise and to make him into a nation— Israel, that would bless all of the other nations. So how does Yeshua fit into this? Yeshua came to this land of promise, to Israel, to the land where Stephen was preaching, the same place. Yeshua is the fullness of the blessing of Abraham. Yeshua was the Jew who brought blessing to all the families of the earth in fullness by his death and resurrection. 
Yeshua is the full fulfillment. Can I say that? The full fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. This is why I believe that Stephen started with Abraham. And then Stephen continues in verse 9 through 16. And this is what he says. Now the patriarchs grew jealous of Yosef. Who is Yosef? Joseph. And sold him into slavery in Egypt. But Adonai was with him. He rescued him from all his troubles and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who appointed him chief administrator over Egypt and over all his household. Now there came a famine that caused much suffering throughout Egypt and Canaan, or Canaan. But when Yaakov, Jacob, heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our fathers there the first time. The second time, Joseph revealed his what? His identity. He revealed his identity to his brothers. And Yosef's family became known to Pharaoh. Yosef then sent for his father, Yaakov, and all his relatives, uh, the 12 tribes, 75 people. And Yaakov went down to Egypt. There he died, as did our other ancestors. Their bodies were removed to Shechem and buried in the tomb Avraham had bought from the family of Hamor in Shechem for a certain sum of money. I know that's a lot, but we'll, we'll go through it, okay? Don't worry. Stay with me. Are you with me? All right. So now Stephen is recounting the story of Joseph. Now Joseph is one of the best archetypes of Messiah Yeshua in Scripture. Joseph was betrayed. And the Lord rescued him from the pit and seated him, picture this, at the right hand of Pharaoh, where he saved the 12 tribes, and all the known world, all the surrounding lands surrounding Egypt during, during this time from starvation. Joseph then revealed his identity to his brothers, the 12 tribes of Israel. And now we see Yeshua revealing himself to Israel, saying, hey, Israel, I am your brother whom you rejected, but, like Joseph, he's saying, I'm not holding it against you. In fact, I came to save you and protect you. That was Stephen's message about Yeshua to those hearers. And that is our message about Yeshua today. What's interesting is that the rabbis have been looking for this perfect Joseph. There's a, there's a term, and, and the rabbis have been looking for a savior that would come like Joseph and have a parallel ministry, a suffering servant, just like Joseph. And this is called, they called him Mashiach ben Yosef. Has anyone heard this before? It means Messiah, son of Joseph. Not, now, I don't mean literal son. It's not his son, right, of the Joseph in Genesis. But it's, it's a suffering servant like Joseph. So they're looking for a Messiah that would fit with Joseph's story, right? And this is the Messiah who would reveal himself to Israel as their brother and as their savior, just like Joseph did. So we have seen that Stephen is drawing the connection between Yeshua and Joseph in their purpose and ministry. But why else is he drawing this connection? Well, I have a theory. I believe it is because Joseph, like Yeshua, experienced rejection from his own brothers. 
okay? A certain amount of rejection. Remember, not all of Joseph's brothers rejected him, did they? There was Judah. He persuaded his brothers not to kill him, but to sell him in slavery instead. So he was trying to kind of look out for Joseph. And then we had Reuben. Reuben's plan was to get him out of the well before, um, before it was too late, but he was not successful. But he tried, to, he tried to save him as well. And then there was Benjamin, of course, never rejected Joseph at all. So just, not, just as not all of his brothers rejected Joseph, not all of the Jewish people have rejected Yeshua, as we see today, right? But Yeshua did experience some rejection. And this, according to Stephen, is the point. Some rejection of a prophet is normal. It's par for the course in the narrative of Israel. They were a stiff-necked people. Remember the the Parsha that we talked about and Eric Friedman just shared from the Parsha Korach, right? Some of them rejected and resisted the leadership of the prophet Moses. This is what we did, unfortunately. But Yeshua, like Joseph and Moses, how did he respond? How did these leaders respond? They respond to rejection with love and forgiveness. And usually they, they're praying for the people that are turning against them. They're interceding for them. And that's, isn't that amazing? So we've seen that the partial rejection of prophetic leaders is normal. And that Yeshua fits right in with Moses and Joseph in this sense. So let's, but let's look at the end of this section again. It's kind of interesting. So Stephen says in verse 16, their bodies, this is uh, Joseph and Jacob, uh, were uh, removed to Shechem and buried in the tomb Avraham had bought from the family of Hamor in Shechem for a certain sum of money. It's interesting, right? So when you, when you explain the gospel of Yeshua, how often do you bring up where the patriarchs are buried? Do you, do you bring that up a lot? No? So Stephen's about to leave this earth to be with God forever. Why would he include this in his last sermon? I've actually wondered about the inclusion of these verses in the original text as well. You know, there's a lot about where people are buried in Genesis. Have you ever noticed that? There's a lot, there's a lot of text and a lot of import given. Abraham buried his wife Sarah in Hebron, which is in Israel. To do this, he actually buys the land. Yeah, I know, it's not so remarkable to us now, but this is the first record of land purchase in the Bible. It's probably one of the earliest land purchases in history. So, and then in Genesis 47, 28 through 31, we read this, we read this about Jacob. This is what it says. Yaakov, and now Yaakov is also referred to as Israel. It's the same person, so don't get confused. All right? You with me? Yaakov lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. Thus Yaakov lived to be 147 years old. The time came when Israel, Jacob, was approaching death. So he called for his son Joseph and said to him, If you truly love me, please put your hand under my thigh and pledge that, out of consideration for me, you will not bury me in Egypt. Rather, when I sleep with my fathers, you are to carry me out of Egypt and bury me where they are buried. He replied, I will do as you have said. He said, swear it to me. And he swore to him. Then Israel, 
Jacob bowed down at the head of his bed. So there's a connection here between the final resting place of the bodies of the patriarchs and the covenant. Remember the covenant? The covenant that God gave them the land. The land was their inheritance. So they didn't want to rest in a land that was foreign land. They wanted to rest in the land of promise. The land was their inheritance. Now we see Yeshua, who died and was buried in the promised land in Israel, but is he resting there? No, he's not. Where is his glorified body today? At the right hand of the Father in heaven. So for those who follow Yeshua, who have received him in their hearts, our inheritance, our promised land, is also in heaven. Yeshua's covenant with his disciples is salvation and eternal life. So to sum up what we have so far, we've seen that Yeshua is the continuation of God's covenant with Abraham to bring Israel into the land and to be a blessing to the nations. And we've seen that Yeshua makes a nice home among the great prophets of Israel who received some rejection, but chose to love and forgive and intercede anyway. And we've seen that the covenant Yeshua makes with us is to be with our Father in heaven. Now at this point, Stephen describes the narrative of Moses, which we heard a little bit about earlier uh, in the Parsha, how the Israelites turned away from Moses and from God toward idolatry. Then Stephen talks about the tent of meeting, which eventually became the temple. And this is where the presence of the Lord was supposed to reside. But Stephen mentions, which is in scripture, that uh, God is not limited to a temple or to one dwelling. And then we come across the final words of Stephen, which I read some of earlier, from verses 51 to 60. We're going to read this again, and I want us to try to picture the scene. Here's Stephen before his accusers. He's, he's, this is his last chance to proclaim the gospel, and he's given all of this context. This is what he says. Stiff-necked people, with uncircumcised hearts and ears. You continually oppose the Ruach HaKodesh. You do the same things your fathers did. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who told in advance about the coming of the righteous one. And now you have become his betrayers and murderers. You, who receive the Torah as having been delivered by angels, but do not keep it. On hearing these things, they were what? They were cut. They were cut to their very hearts. They were convicted. And they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Ruach HaKodesh, looked up to heaven and saw God's Shekhinah, his glory, with Yeshua standing at the right hand of, the God, of God. Look, he exclaimed, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they began yelling at the top of their voices so that they wouldn't have to hear him. And with one accord, they rushed at him and threw him outside the city and began stoning him. And the witnesses laid down their coats at the feet of a young man named Shaul, which, of course, he became the apostle Shaul, also known as Paul. That's another story. As they were stoning him, Stephen called out to God, Lord Yeshua, receive my spirit. Then he kneeled down and shouted, Lord, 
hold this sin again. Wait, no, I said it wrong. He said, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. And with that, he died. With his final words, he speaks again of the rejection of the prophets and God's covenant. But he adds another idea, obeying Torah. The fullness of obedience to Torah is in Yeshua, the living Torah. The fullness of obedience to Torah is to receive the prophets of God, to repent and to turn back to God. Notice, again, they were cut to the heart by his words. They were convicted by the Ruach. But how did they respond? Did they repent? No. They hardened their hearts toward the gospel of Stephen and toward Hashem. So what can we take away from examining this narrative of the first martyr for Yeshua? Well, for one, let's remember what they accused Stephen of in the first place. This is in the previous chapter, chapter 6. They accused him of speaking against Torah, against the temple, against Moses, and against God. And he shows, piece by piece, how he himself and Yeshua are actually for the Torah and for the temple, for Moses, and for God. It's really his accusers who are against these things. Stephen himself has become like a rejected prophet, just like Moses and Joseph and Yeshua. And he has done what they all did. He blessed and forgave the very people who were killing him, the very people who were against him. So if we, as a Messianic Jewish community, find ourselves rejected because of the gospel, we should do the same as Stephen and as Yeshua. And this is indeed possible. Now, Yeshua was the embodiment of the living God. So maybe it's a little easier for him to forgive. I'm not sure. But Stephen, Stephen was a man like us. Have we been rejected and despised unto death like Stephen? We haven't had it that bad. He made his life into the gospel message that he preached. He made his whole life into that message. He was the message. And if we commit to even a small amount of this kind of faith, I believe there will be overflowing blessing. The gospel of Stephen The gospel in the context of covenant and Torah will go forth from this place in the power of forgiveness. Amen? All right. Let's pray. Avinu Malkeinu, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for these heroes of the faith that are really just regular men and women, oh God, that we can read about, we can emulate. And I just pray that uh, you would speak into our hearts um, your, your gospel, oh God. Help us to proclaim it boldly. Help us to proclaim Yeshua in the right way and in the right time with the right context, oh God, by your Ruach, that your word would go forth and that um, Yeshua would be made known in the city of Richmond from Tikvat, Israel. And in Yeshua's name I pray. Amen.